Hello and welcome to the Nature of Avatar, the podcast where we do deep dives into every aspect of the Avatar universe. In this episode, we're going to be looking at, remind me again, was it the tale of Barthing Say? And um, like all of that kind of stuff. Oh, and um, Atlas Lost Days. Yeah, so we also, yeah. yeah. We also want to have like a bit of an apology because basically we've been uploading, our schedule's been very bad. Um, so we want to like start uploading more and Orion's going to talk to you a bit um, in a minute about our summer upload schedule. Um, but apart from that, yeah, we're really sorry. We're going to try and get back on top of things. Orin? Yes, yeah, so... So what... So, yeah, so in the last few weeks, as Osha says, like, I've been on a holiday and stuff. We... Uh, there was Father's Day, that kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah, so I... Um, um, we we were thinking that for the... the well, I mean, Otis was, you were saying, weren't you, that, like, your cousins are coming round from Mexico, uh, and you, you probably won't be free over the summer. Um, I, I will probably be free, oh, yeah, I'll probably be free over the summer to keep recording, and I don't know if Sola will be free over the summer. So, um, I, I will, uh, so Otis is free next week and the week after? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, so yeah, Otis is free next week and the week after to keep doing the episodes. After that, so there'll be uh, there'll be like a two month gap where Otis won't be doing our Sunday episodes. You might do like Tales of Barsing Say or something if you have spare time, but he won't yeah. be doing our Sunday episodes. So that will just be me and or and maybe Sola. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to edit the episodes and uh, put and then upload them to Spotify, uh, Spotify, yeah. Anchor, Apple Music, all those kinds of stuff. Uh, but yeah, that that's kind of just our plan for the summer. So after the next two episodes after this, we won't have Otis um, yeah. on on the podcast for a couple of months, um, and then. But really, it's not that long until so. Like Otis, when do you go back to school and stuff? When when would that? September. September. Okay, yeah. So like our so Susan's comment, which is our last episode of this season, uh, is on the fifteenth of August. So we'll probably move on to the. We we might act, yeah. So we'll probably do a couple of episodes. Um, after Susan's comment to make the thing a bit longer. And then for season five, we'll have Otis back on. But yeah, that yeah. was a quick sort of little update. Um, but yeah, now we're going to talk about... Uh, oh, wait, I forgot. Um, a shout-out, actually. Very exciting. I have a shout-out. Yeah? Yeah, so um, a shout-out goes to um, my friend uh, Monty, who's um, listening to the podcast. Uh, yeah, he, he asked me for a shout-out and... Yeah, there's there's the shout out. Um, yeah, so shout out to you, Monty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, shall, shall we uh, get started? Yeah. Okay. Um, Orange, you want to start? Yeah. So I guess so. The the first thing that happened. So it's kind of like well, overall, Upper Last Days is like so it runs 
what, what does Opus Lost Days run from and to? It's like... Yeah, yes, yeah, so it, it runs from the library where he gets lost all the way up to when... Uh, up to, like, the end of Opus... Uh, up to... Is it Lake Cloudy when Ang finds up her again? Yeah, probably. Yeah, so it's like it's I, I quite like Upper Lost Days because it's like a backstory episode. Um, and there's a lot of action and stuff. It's it's that kind of episode which is like a whole it's like a whole quest all in one. It's almost like yeah. it's a bit like the Avatar One episode where it's like it's an entire story all in one. Like it's a standalone story. You could have a new TV series spin off. And it's just about Upper. Yeah. But yeah, okay. so um, yeah, so so first, um, uh, first things first. You've got um, so you've got oh, sorry, this this is just my load. Okay, yeah, so yeah, so it it's over a month. Uh, so uh, so it starts with Upper's capture. So the way it works is with this episode, it's like everything is sort of upper theme, so it's all from kind of his perspective. So it starts at his capture. Um, so the Sandbenders attack him uh, to try and capture him and sell him in Barsing Say. Um, and then Toph, um, who can't see very well uh, from all the sand, um, needed to stop the library from sinking, so can't help Upper. And then, like, even though we've already gone through this, it's like Ang is Ang is really throwing a lot at Toph. It's like, yeah, it's not really Toph's fault, but Ang is throwing a lot at Toph. Yeah, he is. He's like getting really angry at her, getting really angsty at her. Like, if you get what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, so the Sandbenders drag up her away, um, and the leader. Um, uh, orders up a saddle to be searched thoroughly uh, for any valuable, but nothing which is more valuable than Sokka's club is found. Uh, so Upper tries to fight back. So like Upper's, Upper's like it's not like he's so weak. Um, no, he's really strong. Yeah, like I mean, see this multiple times. Yeah, and also you you look at um, the episodes in some of the episodes in book three of the legend of Korra and it's like um it's it's like you've got the bison wranglers and you've got the bison themselves and the the adult bison are so so powerful they're like they're the original benders this is the equivalent of a dragon pretty much yeah dragon just of the that type of bender yeah so it's like um yeah so um yeah, so he, um, he, yes, yeah, so he just throws the supplies on the saddle, continues his plan to sell Upper to some, uh, to a be- group of beetle-headed merchants. Yeah, okay. So yeah, so after a bit of debate, uh, the merchants decide to buy Upper, uh, and they give the sandbenders a little bit of money, uh, uh, and then the merchants drag Upper, uh, into position and put him on a cage sled so so the, yeah. so the merchants are the ones who are trying to give uh set, set up it in Barsing Say and the sandbenders are just trying to sell it 
So it's, it's like a whole kind of economic chain. Because you've got the sand vendors who are like the uh, if you, the producers, if you like, like uh, at the very bottom of the chain, taking this, it, and then it's the merchants who are actually selling it to the big city after the money. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah so, <clears throat> so Oppa actually hears and blow his whistle, and I mean that that it must have been so hard for Oppa to be like trapped in this cage. And he knows his friend needs help, and it's like. And yeah, I mean, it must be really hard for him because he's like needs to go back to his daddy, who is Ang, and it's like because they're spiritually connected, it is hard for them, um, because of like how they're connected. Yeah, their spiritual thing. How much it affected Ang, and then it's like when Ang's life force runs out, Oppa's does as well. They're yeah. so spiritually connected. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so. Yeah, so, uh, uh, but Upper, this is again showing how powerful Upper is. He lifts the sled off the ground and flies it into the air. Uh, uh, but the merchants shoot him with Shirashu spit darts. So they're like the poison from the Shirashu. Shoe so that that's it. That's the animal which is used by June. No, June. June's a bounty hunter, isn't she? Yeah, she is. She is a bounty hunter. Anyway, let's move on to um the next bit. So he gets captured by them, and isn't he put in a circus? I haven't watched this episode for a long time because it wasn't yes. one that I particularly needed to rewatch. But do you know like what happens with the whole circus thing? Yeah, so so I think they they those merchants actually sold him to the circus. So Upper wakes up and finds himself in a really small cage, and there are a lot of other depressed animals. So a firebender talks to him, um, and he's an animal tamer who wants to break Upper, uh, and not like literally break him, but like you know, like break. So like like. Yeah. like Break a horse. Train. Yeah. So, uh, what's a lion vulture? So he, yeah, he lets he lets out a lion vulture, and I'm. It's a firebending move. I think. No, it's it's a bird. Oh, a lion vulture then is a bird. Avatar cross species birds are very very weird. Anyway. Yeah. Yes, so, so, um, yeah, so, hang on, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, so, so while the animal tamer performs the tricks, um, upper sneaking sucks in air, so he's an airbender, and he sucks cabbages into his mouth, and the tamer, but the tamer comes round and becomes furious and threatens him with fire. And this is this is this is the start of Upper's fear of fire, isn't it? Yeah, because he is f- afraid of fire. I forget about that. Yeah, but it it ha- it all starts here. So it's kind of like a PTSD sort of thing, but for Upper. Yeah. Because it's like Upper has been 
has this awful experience with fire. So he's really scared when Suki threatens him later in the episode with fire. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay, so... Yeah, so the, the circus hosts a performance in a Fire Nation dam. And Upper unsuccessfully tries to pull a bale of hay closer to him to eat. But a small boy who's waiting for his dad to return um, disobeys his father's order and moves the hay close enough for him to eat. Um, he stays with Upper, only leaving when the animal tamer comes back. Yeah. So it's interesting because the animal tamer is this like evil character, but Upper meets so many friends throughout this um uh, he, he he makes so many friends throughout this uh, episode. So yes, yeah, so, and this is the same circus which Tai Lee used to work in, which is quite interesting. So it's like a bit of backstory there. Uh, let me. Okay, so yeah, so uh, he uppers introduced as the Wind Buffalo in the show, and he's dressed in a massive costume and makeup. Uh, the tamer commands Upper to fly and by saying up and he spins around and the crowd laughs more uh, and the animal but the animal tamer who's very cruel strikes him with a whip of flame so it's like he's actually being whipped with fire this is like really really yeah this is probably where the like whole thing yeah like Upper's has had so many and it's kind of like up as this kind of chilled back, laid back kind of guy. And he's been through so much in terms of this. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah, so. Let's see. Okay, yeah, so. Um, yes, yeah, so. Upper flies up and fly, flies through a burning hoop and stands up on a high rising platform. Um, goes through another hoop, um, but his costume catches on fire and he slaps the hoop onto the ground, which hits the animal tamer on the head, uh, knocks him to the ground, and the crowd laughs again. Uh, Upper lands and then sees the boy who helped him earlier and is re- reminded of Aang. Um, and then you have um, the kind of flashback bit. So he flies back to where the library was after he's escaped but he finds it completely buried. He tries to dig it out, uh, uh, but flies off. Uh, so he lands to find food. He, yeah, so yes, yeah, so there's all this stuff. It's kind of like, it's it's like a full upper episode quest. Um, Otis, do you want to read the next bit? Yeah, so which bit are we at? We're at the tour where he's been weird by fire. He's been weird by fire. He sees this guy that, um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so we're so a bit where it's like the flashback. Oh, I actually remember this. So that night, Apple wanders into a farm where he goes into an open barn and eats some hay and water. He collapses, exhausted on the ground, dreaming of his past. At the Eastern Air Temple, an airbending nun is preparing several children to bond with a group of flying bison. She gives each of them an apple, telling them to choose a bison carefully because a bison is a companion for life. One of the boys is Aang, who soon finds Appa and offers him the fruit. Appa happily devours it before pushing Aang over and licking his face. 
Aang laughing, saying how this must mean the two of them will be together forever. The scene then switches to Aang, um, with the group during Serpent's Pass, who are having the exact same dream as Appa. Um, then, startled awake by a farmer, who frightened of Appa's yeah, immense yeah, size. I was just going to say, so it's interesting, so you kind of meet all the characters, so it's like you've got Appa, then you've got Aang, and then it's like, so Aang, so we've already covered what Aang was going through, but this covered it in even more detail. Aang is so, so connected to Appa, they're even having the same dreams. Yeah. Yeah, um, and it's interesting how they look at all the different episodes as well, so it's like, uh, you've got, uh, you've got the library, and then you've also got the Serpent's Pass, and you meet Zuko, and all these different things, it's interesting. Anyway, yeah. 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 Let's actually, let's just move on with the episode, because we don't want it to drag on too long. Let's talk about the next major bit, isn't it? Where, doesn't he, like, fly away? Yeah, no, so, so he flies out of the roof uh, and flies off. And it takes And him... he meets Suki. Yeah, so it takes him over the Serpent's Pass and Iroh sees him in the sky. Zuko wakes up by his uncle's reaction and asks him what's going on, but um, Iroh doesn't tell Zuko about how he saw Appa because so it's kind of also interesting because this is like Appa's big it's it's Iroh's kind of big change period in a way so it's like Iroh is changing um before he was like almost as dedicated to killing the Avatar as Aang but now he's he's sort of changed anyway yeah so yeah so um, so he, Appa continues to fly, finding his landing in the middle of a forest. Exhausted, he lands in front of an overgrown doorway. As Appa tries to stand up, a porcupine comes charging out of the passage, tackling him and sending them both tumbling down a hillside. Appa is, um, pricked with several quills, but manages to fight the boar, claiming the ruin is his own. The next day, the Kyoshi warriors are out picking berries when one notices the um, damage caused by the fight, as well as several clumps of white fur. Suki, recognising the fur as Upper's, fight, as Upper's finds him um, still sleeping. Upper, however, is now frightened of people and reluctant to let her get closer. Despite the gift of root, sorry, uh, she... Um, leaves him. Suki gathers the rest of the warriors and calms Appa down by telling him how she wants to help him return to Aang. The girls remove the quills uh, left from the porcupine, remove his shackles and clean his fur, but their celebration is short-lived as a blast of blue flame knocks a tree over. Azula, May and Tai Lee arrive on their mongoose lizards, still pursuing the avatar. The warriors of Kyoshi defend Appa, but Azuna and her friends are far more formidable opponents than they have faced before, and soon have the upper hand against the warriors. Appa turns back to help, but Suki grabs a burning branch and uses it to scare Appa away, which is what we were talking about because he's afraid of fire, so you can like scare him away with it. Otis, I just wanted to say here, it's so the Kyoshi warriors, they faced Zuko, they faced loads of other enemies. They're like elite. Uh, and this is Azula May and Tylee. So they're, it's it's kind of like the best of the best versus the best of the best. So it's like they're all the best at what they do. They're all like the ultimate warriors. But not really, because then 
Azula May and Ty Lee are just too good. Well, yeah, they, they, as in, but like, I would say um, once the Kyoshi Warriors have Chi blocking, they're pretty much as powerful as Azula because they can just chi yeah. Block. Once they have, once they have Chi blocking, but they yeah, don't. So yeah. That's a bit later on, but yeah, they, but they are the best of the like the Kyoshi Warriors, and compared to Mei and Tai Lee. They're all pretty elite, but May, Tiny, and Azula are just a bit better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now let's actually, I think let's move on. Let's try and get to um, the bar, bar sanctuary tales. Um, so basically, Aqua finds them, and then it the episode doesn't it ends, doesn't it? When he flies away. Yeah. So he flies away. He passes some water tribe ships where Katara and Sokka's father Hakoda sees him flying above. And he makes his way back to the Eastern Air Temple. And then he finds some fruit. Uh, no, remember he sees Guru Pate. Um, oh, yeah. And he understands he's not the person Pate expected and lies. Yeah, so it's like. Um, but in the morning, the Guru gives him some berries. The- and he gives them, him that letter to give to Aang. Yeah, and he gives him the note which he ties to his horn and tells him um, about how they're intertwined. Um, he puts a yeah. hand on Upper's forehead, tells him where Upper is. As he flies into Fasting Day, two Lee agents are spying um, on him from the rooftops. He continues to fly around and he hears something. Uh, and he lands in the middle of the of the city um, and Long Feng uses earthbending and captures him underground leaving only a single footprint in the mud. That's where the episode ends doesn't it? I, I, I feel so bad because I haven't watched this episode in ages but then it like ends and it's like dun 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 because he gets captured. Yeah and this I would say this is such such a great um this is this is such a great um, episode, I, I personally think, because um, it's like opposite time, I would say that, that Ki- the Kyoshi Warrior versus Azula thing in terms of character development is one of the coolest fight scenes really? So, sort of, like I would say because it's like, it's kind of like the elite non-benders against el- the elite other other elite non-benders because it's like the, it's like the most elite teams there are. It's like Earth versus Fire. I guess. I guess. But then, that. But then it's ended so quickly because Azula just gets the upper hand. Yeah, I I would say so. But yeah, so we're going to our Zoom meeting's about to run out. So yeah, right. we'll be back um, after the break to talk about. Tales of Barsing Say. Hello, we are back from the break and we're ready to talk to you about Tales of Barsing Say. Uh, so, number one is the tale of Toph and Katara. So, um, it, so it starts in um, there in Team Avatar's house in Barsing City, 
uh, and they're cleaning themselves, getting ready for the day, and Aang shaves his head, Sokka shaves his moustache, Katara does her hair, with the exception of Toph, who hasn't even woken up. So Katara wakes Toph, yes, they do still have all these rivalry problems. Um, So she presents herself with her hair in a mess, and her body covered in dust, which she calls a healthy coating of earth and she considers herself friend. So Katara suggests they should have a so-called girls' day out and take her to the Yeah, because Katara's kind of being like a bit sexist at the moment. She's being like, um, she's being like, oh no, like we must have a girls' day out, which is not good. I I, I don't think saying a girls' day out is that sexist, but it's, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that that's sexist as such. No? No, I guess it's more like Katara wants to bond more with Top. Like, it's not like... Because you get a lot of kind of... Like, it's the same in The Legend of Korra. It's like Korra and Asami will have, like, girls' day outs without the rest of Team Avatar. Yeah, I guess. So, yeah, yeah, so... Um, Top agrees, um, said that the attendant better not touch her feet. So they walk in and they are forced to have a foot massage that turns into a foot scrubbing. And Top yeah. bends an attendant through the wall. So yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, then they so then they have a um, a mud bath and Top uses her earthen to make creepy faces in the mud and scare away the attendant. Afterwards, um, then they relax in the sauna and use their bending to toss hot rocks and water in the central pit to make sleep. So they need to yeah. start with a lot of makeup on their faces. Uh, and they and Toph, so it's kind of like Toph is sort of almost warming to the idea of having um, uh, makeup and getting clean. And you have team up, uh, you have the Lost Adventures and in the Lost Adventures, there's that whole bit, isn't there? Which is like um, the whole Toph is dirty thing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so... Um, she said that she doesn't normally do fancy things, but it isn't something she dislikes. So, essentially, that's Toph's way of saying, um, yeah, actually, that was kind of nice. Yeah, so, it is. So, they... They cross the bridge, three older girls make fun of Toph's makeup. She becomes upset and Katara urges her to ignore them. But this is Toph. She forces her laugh back at the girl, earthbends a hole in the bridge, sends them into the water below. And Katara finishes uh, them off and by washing them downstream by a large wing. So they keep walking, but Toph says that because she's blind, she doesn't have to worry so much about personal appearance or the approval of others. But, she, but the girl's words still hurt her all the same, uh, and she does cry. Um, but Katara sell, tells Toph that she admires how confident, self-assured, and strong she is physically and emotionally. Uh, but yeah, Toph, but she acknowledges that Toph will never know what she looks like, but she adds that she thinks Toph is very pretty. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, That's yeah. nice. Yeah. And then what's the next one? The Tale of Ang, was it? Tale of Iroh. Do you want to read that one? 
No, you can do it. I just like, I like adding comments. Okay then. So, they're strolling through a market uh, and Iroh stops and buys a few things at a stand. Um, um, one thing was a picnic basket. So the shopkeeper asks Iroh what his, what his reasoning is and he says that it's for a special occasion. He aids the shopkeeper by helping a moonflower bloom by moving it into the shade. He explained how the moonflower uh, like part, the moonflower's like partial shade. So he continues his walk and he sees a small boy crying and his mother trying her hardest to calm. So Iroh bother, borrows a, it's called a liquid? I, I'm not 100% sure what that actually, oh, yes, yes, no, no, what's the, oh yeah, liquid. Isn't it like a little banjo thing? No, that's the paper. That isn't that what he uses? Oh no, it's a full, yeah, 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 it's like a little banjo thing. So yeah, he borrows a banjo thing called a liquid from a nearby shop. Um, and he uses it to cheer up the small kid. Um, uh, the boy stops crying as Iroh sings to him and proceeds to thank Iroh by pulling his beard and laughing. So actually, this that, that scene reminds me a lot of um, Iroh uh, and Korra in, when she meets him for the first time in the spirit world. Oh, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so, in an alley, Iroh watches some boys playing earthbending ball. Um, the ball crashes through a window. He, t- um, he tells him it's always best to admit your mistakes in order to restore honour. But when the massive owner shows up in the window and says, when I'm through with your, when I'm through with you kids, the window won't be the only thing that's broken. He reacts. He retracts his comments and tells them to run. After they run down, after he runs down an alley, he's threatened at knife point by a mother. Unconcerned for his own safety, Iroh tells him uh, that stance makes him weak to attackers and proves it by knocking him down and stealing his dagger. Iroh corrects his stance and says that he does not look like a criminal. The man admits that. Uh, his life has turned to crime, and after they share tea, he suggests that he becomes a... What's a masseur? I don't know. Let's look that up. Let's look it up. Oh no, I think it... Yeah, no, no, it's someone who gives massages to people. I I think that's... That might be a nice job. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I don't really know why you want necessarily do that. Uh, anyway, let's let's continue with that. So, uh, Masia. Uh, yeah. So, um, but Iris says, "Oh no, yeah." The man says that no one's ever believed in him, and Iris says that help from others can be a great blessing. The same wisdom he previously offered to Tom. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then and then we need to talk about little soldier boy. Come marching home. 
Like fragile tiny gems Drifting okay. in the fine okay, okay. From the vine hmm. So, um, I, 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 I come to rest on a hill The large tree Sets up some rocks Pulls out materials from the basket he bought up Special occasion uh, It's a memorial for his son Luten's birthday um, Iroh's only son who he lost in the siege of Barsing Set. Iroh places a cloth upon the ground along with a picture of Lutet. He lights two incense sticks using firebending, places them in a holder and wishes happy birthday to his son. He confesses that he wished he could have helped Lutet, similar to how he helped all those along his way, and that his death helped him become a better person. Iroh starts singing song he played earlier for crying or leaves from the vine which we will now play leaves from the vine drifted like fragile tiny shells drifting in the phone a fun fact I can play that on piano Seriously? Yeah. Nice. Let's listen. I don't have a piano with me. Now the really nice one is the um, lo-fi version. So if you're a fan of this is the lo-fi version. Yeah. You chose well. Sorry? You chose well. Master Orion. Thank you. Yeah, and then which is not as destroy a shop, various animals attack the system, and the merchant and the cabbage merchant says cabbage is eaten by a rabbit. After trying to restore order, Aang pulls out his bison whistle and blows a huge burst of air through it using air vent. Attention. 
hops onto an air scooter as the animals run after him. Meanwhile, the zookeeper, frantically trying to get the guards to open the gate, they refuse till they see the incoming stampede. Once the gates are open, though, Aang reaches to the other side and hops onto his air scooter again. The earthbending creates a wall around the animal and he continues to earthbend various different paths all the way up to uh, another place, uh, well, not another place, but up to the place. Um, children and their families come flocking to the queen, and the zookeeper thanks Anne for his help, also telling him that he should have a job with animals. However, zoo animals were the only creature that followed the signs. Many domestic cats, dogs, and cat dogs are also inside the animal and for helping him out, he advises him to stick to people rather than animals. Cat dog a real animal. In Avatar. Does it? Does it? It features nowhere apart from this episode. I hope it doesn't actually. Is this a real half cat, half dog? Oh, Orion's just put some really creepy thing on my screen. Yeah, okay, let's just take that down. I didn't know that was even possible. Right there. So now we have the tail of song. So yeah, so in the peaceful city, the is outside is Numbers across the 575 design. High class of beautiful girls. While peeking through the window, he enjoys the show dreamily until he's suddenly shoved from behind an ostrich horse and falls through the window. While explaining the incident to the girls, he accidentally rhymes in haiku. I am so sorry, something struck me in the rear. I just wound up here. The poetry instructor, Madame McLean, becomes upset with the intrusion and gig and giggling in class. He's also disgusted with commonplace messages that Haiku presents. Uh, presents er, rules of Haiku in a much more formal time. Soccer gets into the poetry. After each of Soccer's verses, the girls in the class go to the After several rounds, Soccer comments mistakenly adds syllables causing the class to become silent and hard-faced. After counting the syllables and realising his mistake, Gar kicks him out of the class and back onto the street, causing Sokka to change his mind about liking poetry. Would you mm-hmm. like to read the tale of Zuko? Oh, hi. So. Ah, sorry. Working at the tea house, Zuko is worried that a young girl who frequents at the, um, what's it called, shop, has deduced that he and I are from the Fire Nation. When he informs... Wait, wait, I've got, we've got to remember this. Um, is it the green flag? Yeah. Oh, maybe stop the music. Yeah, I'll stop the music. Uh, it is... No, it's the Jasmine Dragon. How did you forget? You forgot. No, 
I didn't. It's the Jasmine Dragon. I just remembered. Okay. Sure. Okay then. Let's go. So, um, worried um, that she has deduced that him and Ira are from the Fire Nation. He tells his uncle Ira says that she did appear quite often around their establishment. However, Ira instead infers that the girl named Jin simply has a crush on Zuko. This is immediately proven correct when Jin comes up to the counter and asks Zuko out after paying for her tea. Now, um, Zuko, Iro quickly accepts on his nephew's behalf, and the two ten- teenagers meet up after sundown outside the shop. Uh, Zuko leaves the shop polished in nice clothes and slicked back hair that took Iro, according to Zuko, 10 minutes to fashion. Um, what is it? Jin, however, messes it up before they leave. They go out to eat, and Jin asks how he feels about the city and his hobbies. To which Zuko replies with one word answers. The waiter asks if he and his girlfriend were care for dessert. To which Zuko loudly replies that she is not his girlfriend. Zuko, not used to something as mundane as a date, is a little more nervous uh, and makes a few more missteps. Jin seems to take in it in stride, noticing her eating. Zuko awkwardly states that she has quite an appetite for a girl. Uh, she asks Zuko about his life, which causes him to make up the story that he and his uncle were part of a travelling circus before they came to Bar Sing Se. Um, Jin asks him what he performed as, but she stops because she wants to guess. When Jin guesses juggling, uh, Zuko flows with it. With encouragement from Jin, Zuko starts and gets himself covered in food, claiming lack of practice as the problem. Uh, after that awkward dinner, Jin pulls Zuko off to one of her favourite parts of the city, the Firelight Fountain. At night, the fountain is usually lit by lanterns in the evening uh, and causes the water to sparkle. However, when they get there, the lanterns are all dark and unlit. Seeing her disappointment, Zuko tells Jin to close her eyes. Making sure that no one else is around to watch, he quietly lights all the lanterns with his firebending. Jin and Zuko um, stare into the fountain, and Jin reaches out and holds his hand. Um, Slyly, she tries to give Zuko a kiss, but Zuko holds up a coupon for a free tea between them and gives it to her. Nonplussed, she tells Zuko to close his eyes so she could give so she could present her gift to him. She kisses him lightly and briefly. Zuko gives her a brief brief kiss in return. Um but quickly breaks away and leaves. When Jin asks him to the reason, he simply says that it's complicated and heads back to the tea house. And Orion is just currently messaging me in Zoom chat, going, uh, sussy sussy, even more sussy sussy, sussy sussy sussy. Back at his apartment, uh, Iroh's query about the night is answered only by a slamming of the doors to Zuko's room. Zuko opens, um, uh, uh, Zuko opens the door slightly afterwards, however, and tells him it was nice before gently sliding the door closed, leading Iroh to smile. Okay, yeah, and I've got a brewing thought in my mind, right, about the tale of Iroh. Do you think that it's... Because I think it's like since I since Luten's death that he kind of the Ira sort of changed. I think it might have actually been Ira, which co- uh, Luten, which caused him to become a better person. It is as bad as Ozai. Yeah. Yeah. It is him. 
Yeah, that's quite interesting. Anyway. So do you want to talk about the tale of Mowgli? No, you can talk about the tale of No, you talk about it. Okay. Oh dear, my brother, sorry. So Momo dreams that he and Upper are eating moon peaches from a tree so high up that it reaches over the clouds. And he's suddenly awoken by a clap of thunder. He instinctively hides in Sokka's bag. When he emerges, he finds a tuft of Upper's hair on his head from inside the bag. Smelling it, he realises that the fur is Upper's. Seeing an Upper-like shadow on the ground, he wraps the fur around his wrist and takes it takes off after it, only to find a lone clown. A similar sighting only turns out to be a cherry tree. Disappointed, Momo continues searching through the city for Upper, and he soon draws the attention of a trio of pygmy pupils who see him as a potential mere. He tries to escape, but the cats work together to try to bring him down, trapping him in a box until he seizes an opportunity to escape. Momo's escape only succeeds landing him in a crowd among a crowd of people watching a street artist with a pair of dancing monkeys. The man seizes Momo, outfits him with a hat, and places him, places him with the monkeys, making him to be a monkey himself due to his short-sightedness, making an amusing trio of small dancing primates. The three cats eventually chase Momo out of the performer's circle and pin him to the ground. All four of them suddenly find themselves captured by an animal control officer. They're all brought to the butcher, and the man that captured them begins haggling with the owner. The highly intelligent Momo, however, frees himself using his opposable thumbs to remove the skull pin that locks his cage and starts to run over. Uh, to starts to run off. However, seeing the three mournful pumas and feeling sympathetic, he frees them from their cages as well. By the time the men find the cages to be empty, all four are running up on the rooftops. As the four new devoted friends sit on the rooftop snuggling, one of the pumas removes Upper's fur from Momo's wrist. And, and the three run down an alley, making sure that Momo's following. The cat stop and place the fur in a large three-toed footprint left in a patch of exposed earth surrounded by the streets paving stones which was in fact made by Upper. Momo notices the print as he lands uh, and the pumas sit together nearby. He curls on top of the tuft of fur and falls asleep again thinking of his beloved companion as rain starts to fall. Okay then yeah there it is Sorry, basically my brother's shouting about going to the play park to go on a pirate treasure hunt. Um, What's a pirate? Yeah. What's a play park? A play park? Oh, wait, like a climbing frame? Like a play, a play park. park? Yeah. Oh, right, okay then. <laughs> that was a confusing statement, Orion. You have a younger brother. What's yeah. the matter? He doesn't go to the play park though. No? I thought everyone goes to the play park. Do you? <laughs> to go like skateboarding or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't. Anyway, yeah, so um I hope this episode hasn't been too long. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Um 
I think let's put in a Q, another Q&A. Please, please reply. I know a lot of you listen to the episodes, but we never have many answers on the Q&As. Um, don't be shy. Yeah, don't worry. Um, if you... Uh, if you don't, if you don't want us, yeah, um, yeah, if, if you don't want us to share your, um, because Otis, you, they will send, they'll say something, and then you can choose whether or not to share their answer, right? Yeah. Yeah, so if you don't want us to share your answer, that's fine. Um, it's just great to hear from you. This Q&A, this episode is going to say... Um, do you like shorter episodes or longer episodes? I know we've done this before, but we've never had many answers. So, yeah. So, Otis. Okay. That's all we have for this episode. Uh, please remember to leave us a like, subscribe, uh, uh, turn on notifications, follow, drop us a comment wherever you listen. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.